Hey, Miss Bowman, a student called out one day as he came into class. I think we should study memes. He and his friends were just laughing about a meme of some sort out in the hallway. I don't exactly remember what it was, but I do remember dismissing him quickly and shaking my head. I barely knew what a meme was, much less would I integrate something so stupid into my sacred English classroom where we studied books, plays, short stories, poetry, and essays. Don't you know, student, I seem to say, there is, there is a time-honored code here. Genuine intrigue over something so new doesn't belong here. Oy. I look back and now I cringe. The readings this week helped me understand just how crucial it is for us to integrate and study new literacy. So here's what's on this episode. First, I explain how a site I used for my composition course doesn't quite have the same effect today as it did in 2010, a blog. And second, I review a literacy I find immensely effective, even though it's not new. It's the montage. And third, I brainstorm a couple more projects that incorporate new literacy. First is a communal site where multiple people can contribute, and second is a meme research paper. These are both things I hope to include at some point this year, and I have not done them before. So if you're like me and you listen to podcasts, now is the time to get out that blanket you've been trying to crochet for a year. Or maybe you can do the dishes or clean or I'm sure you know the drill. Well, first I want to tell you about a website I set up in my first year of teaching. It was fall of 2010. I was recently hired to teach kids in a small private school how to write. So after reading Penny Kittle's book right beside them and taking Leah Zaitema's English language arts class my junior year of college, um, I decided to set up a site called The Ning. Students could set it up like Facebook, they had their own profiles where they could write blogs, which would be published to a feed, much like what we would see on Facebook. I assigned two blogs per week with the idea that they would observe the world around them and write often for an authentic audience. And let me tell you, in 2010, this was a hopping platform. All my students had Facebook and only a few used Twitter and none of us had even heard of Snapchat or Instagram. So Facebook was the platform and therefore Ning was the platform. So I think this was the time when Facebook still set up users to fill in the rest of a status that began. So-and-so is, like for example, Larissa is, and then I'd fill it in, taking it easy. So I digress. Students understood and even loved the Ning because it was so much like Facebook. They spent their free time on it. They messaged each other and commented on the most recent post. And for the next few years, this magic technology allowed my students to be active participants into the world of writing. And at the end of each semester, we would collectively publish the best of each person's writing in a class anthology. And some students still message me saying, hey, remember when we did the Ning? I loved that. <clears throat> Just a couple of years ago, I began to see a shift in attention. Um, it was pretty interesting, actually. Um, I, it's something I really had to reevaluate. Um, it was a shift in the attention students gave the Ning. So 
It was something they worked on in class only, and I began to realize that many of them even forgot to submit their posts by Friday, much less read anyone else's. So this was a completely different atmosphere from my first year of teaching. I kept asking, wait, am I just not explaining it that well? And so now I have a pro tip for you. If you have to explain why something is just so, so interesting, then maybe it's not that great. So I had to reevaluate. First, I noticed the website design. <clears throat> I realized students probably felt like they were logging in to 2010. It was the frame, the text boxes, the font even. My word, have you noticed how people these days have strong opinions of font styles? Especially Comic Sans. People hate that font. Don't ask me why I miss that cultural point, but I strongly believe that the design threw them off. It wasn't sleek or as smooth to use, and it was not what they were completely used to using um, in the, the recent couple years. So um, I noticed a couple of other things too. I realized that the medium itself was just outdated. Students had to log on to the web browser on their phones because the website does not have an app. And then they had to scroll and search and wait for when the site said loading and then write their own blogs on their phones if they were working from home. And what's more, the text was so small on their phones, they just might as well have forgotten editing altogether. It was the antithesis to writing. It did not make us write very well. So I decided that um, students really didn't want to take time to research and read other people's posts because, duh, they had just already spent so much time finagling the site already, and now they wanted to be done with school and go play a video game or something easier, right? Their own literacy. So eight years. It took me eight years to learn I needed to change my writing course. This year... I decided to uh, have them still write a blog, but instead this time around they would use Google Sites because, well, for one, it was free. Number two, I didn't really have a lot of time to think about it. And um, three, it did look a little bit more modern, so I thought they might connect to it a little bit better. So what are the results of using Google Sites instead of the Ning? Um, well, some students love it, but that's because they already write anyway. And others title their blog something like, I have a blog now, or just one word, what? And undoubtedly, somewhere in their minds, they're probably thinking, am I in 2012? Now, I shouldn't be too hard on myself. I'm sure my students have learned a lot from writing um, in this form, but I, I really think we have to rethink the medium too. Um, so I can't be too hard on Ning because I have enjoyed it and for a span of time my students really did like it too. They learned to write for an audience, but when the audience eventually went away, um, I guess maybe the writing didn't feel so authentic. And then when the writing doesn't feel authentic, writers eventually lose their, uh, their purpose. So I think that access has completely changed and how we publish what we write has changed. And therefore, I'm searching for more multimodal avenues for my students to contribute to the world around them because now more than ever, people consume in a variety of ways. I now walk into the wild beyond the year 2010.
focus on rebel position. You just heard a segment from a commercial that aired a few years ago after the Syrian missile crisis. In one second metric clips, we see a close-up of a little girl, center frame, and in each clip we see her family singing happy birthday, then she's putting on lipstick, snuggling with a stuffed bunny, she's playing a recorder. A grandma pinches her cheek playfully, she's learning French, and then she's spinning on the merry-go-round, and then very soon, we begin to see things in the background behind this little girl. A news reporter saying Life ammunition, live ammunition, and a couple of civilians arguing, and sirens in the background as she enters the school, and then her father reading newspaper, and her neighbors rushing to move. We see missile strikes on her home eventually and a family rushing out. The little girl is eating a mangled apple and then she's sleeping in a homeless shelter. And finally, we see her staring at her birthday cake as her mother sings. She looks completely defeated, this little girl. The ending caption on the one minute video, it says simply, just because it isn't happening here doesn't mean it isn't happening. Now, this was a group of activists who tried to uh, help other people understand what was actually happening um, in Syria at the time. And I think it's so incredibly powerful. This is a montage. It is a piece of film that works masterfully to convey an idea or a piece of story really quickly. The entire thing is about one minute long. Um, a montage can have the power to change a person's perception, like this video. Or in only five minutes, maybe a montage can make you feel hopeful and then joyful and then happy and then defeated and sad when it turns out that this adorable character Ellie died and Carl, this old man now, is the only one climbing up his hill. Hill, the hill that they used to climb up. He's the only one doing that again. A montage can pump you up, like when Rocky trains by running up the stairs and punching meat. A montage can pacify you or anger you or give you joy. In junior English, I am telling my students that part of literacy is not just going home to read a short story every day because I ask, how many of you actually go and do that? Uh, no one raises their hand. And how many of you go home and scroll on your phones and watch videos? Everyone raises a hand. I argue that literacy is being able to interpret the world around them. And that includes reading and writing along with media literacy. But you knew that already because you're in this class. My students, however, are hearing this for the first time, it seems. You mean we can study things we actually like, they seem to say, as they grow weary of um, actually filming during class time. Uh, we spend about six weeks planning, filming, and editing a one to three minute montage. It must carry a purpose and it must target an audience. And we study angles, movements, shot length, color, tone, sound, etc. 
I know this unit is worth it when a student comes home into class or comes into class one day and says, great, now I can't watch a movie like I did before. So uh, you're welcome, kid. You're welcome. So now I'm brainstorming other ideas for my writing class. Like, instead of using a site that asks students to blog, I instead ask them to submit a sort of multimodal website where multiple people can contribute a variety of text, videos, audio, all to the same space and centered around the same idea. So this communal blog would not be just individualistic, it'd be individual people contributing to the same space. It would run similarly to Welcome to Night Vale, where most conspiracy theories are true in this community, and oddly enough, after enough contributions from different people, there develops an unwritten set of rules to exist in this society. It's very fascinating, and people get really, really into it. I would liken it to my fascination with the world of The Bachelor, as shallow as I know that sounds. If I set up maybe four of these websites, I could probably center two around fictional storytelling while the other two are focused on nonfiction subjects like sports or money. So my second new literacy project is a meme research paper. So thanks to my students from just a few years ago who urged me to look into the subject. Um, the Harvey and Police article we just read this week gave me a lot to think about. I especially appreciate the main goal they developed when studying memes, which is to, and I quote, help students develop the ability to be critical by questioning their interaction with memes and to have them think about how different social factors influence how memes are made and spread. So I think that's a great definition. And then they break up meme study into three categories. One, meme macros or image macros. Two, exploitables. And three, memetic videos. For this research paper, I'll first have students find a series of compelling memes. And then I'll have them study where they think one meme began and how it has developed. Then they'll research the story behind it. Where did it come from, do they think? Uh, what do they know about it? And was there anything maybe from a long time ago that it draws on? And then they're going to research why the image and text simplification has become such a dominant form of communication today. I think this is so important for them to research because literacy has completely changed as we keep uh, saying over and over again. Um, I think that is so essential for students to understand. Finally, I come to a conclusion. So wrap up whatever you're working on and reflect with me for just a little bit here. Dana Huff, author of Telling the Story of America, a digital storytelling project in American literature, says to her students this one question, would you click on this? This question pushes students to see the value of audience, which is what I struggled to make real after too many years trying to get kids to write blogs in the form of the Ning that was a lot like Facebook. The phrase, would you click on this, helps us understand that if your peers won't click on it, and if you won't click on it, there's probably a reason, and we have to make some changes. 
I think we as educators can be always reforming our practice by simply paying attention. Maybe instead of bemoaning the junior boys who are walking down the hallways and always inventing new words, we see it as proof that language changes and we use it as examples in our classroom. And I know we often dislike how much we and our students check our phones in the silent times between classes, but I think we're all just looking for some more stimulation or maybe a way to check out. So when I think about new literacy, I think of the value of what's new. It's a shift in thinking because we tend to dislike change. We tend to villainize this new whatever. But if I'm truly going to access the minds of my students, I have to remember this. Change for us is normal for them. Thank you for listening, everyone. I look forward to reading your responses as well.